coming up this week on Breaking Badness. Today we discuss research on DNS espionage. Fancy Bear, also known as APT28, is back at it again. And WinRAR, which has been broken since the Clinton administration. Breaking Badness is next. Welcome to Breaking Badness, episode number three, recorded on February 25th, 2019. I'm your co-host, Kelsey LaBelle, self-proclaimed wordplay pundit. With me, co-host Emily Hacker, who has at different times been called advanced, persistent, and a threat. And last but not least, Tim Helming, whose humor process exited with status one. It's not buffering oh, anymore. No, <laughs> no, no. It just it failed. Just <laughs> I think you took our jokes from episode two a little seriously, but see, we accept the humor you. process crashed. Humor took it too seriously, <laughs> and it hasn't recovered yet. We'll work on this. <laughs> so it brings me great joy that DNS espionage is the first article we're going to discuss today, and just my my term of choice. Um, so well done, Cisco Talos. Um, so there are two different articles that we specifically dove into. Um, one of which coming from Cisco Talos' blog, and then the other is good old Krebs on security. So basically, Emily, probably a good starting point is if you could summarize this new campaign, DNS espionage, um, and basically who it's affecting and um, what's going on. Yeah, sure. So this is a really good example, in my opinion, of the security community finding something going on and different experts building on each other's research. So as you mentioned, this started with Cisco Talos back in November of 2018. They released a blog post um, indicating that there were threat actors that were able to steal login credentials uh, from Lebanese and United Arab Emirates government uh, organizations by hijacking their DNS servers to redirect all the email and VPN traffic. And on top of that, they also obtained the SSL search so that any of the traffic, they could decrypt it. Well, since then, this story has definitely made the rounds in the security community, and each time it's been picked up, I think there's been a little bit added to it. So later in January of this year, I believe, FireEye picked it up and had something to add, and then um, the DHS released an emergency directive ordering some all government sites, all .gov sites, to secure their login credentials. Later, still in January, then CrowdStrike released a blog post containing a list of domain names associated with the malicious activity. And now finally, um, Mr. Krebs himself has picked up on it and added to it quite a bit. So what Krebs did was really interesting. All of the domains that all these other news sources and, and research organizations had r reported on already, he took them, ran through passive DNS to see what he could find. And what he found was that over 50 government agencies from various Middle Eastern governments had been affected by this campaign, and all of them were pointing the hijacked DNS servers to DNS servers that were in Europe, and they were controlled by the bad guys. Do we know who the bad guys are at this point? Has attribution, the process of attribution begun in that sense, or had so, any success, I should say? Yeah, I... Um, She's basically trying to figure out a nice way to say that I did it. <laughs> uh, you know, that would be very awkward. Uh, yeah, so attribution is really easy when you are the bad guy. That's yeah. right. But, okay. It was 
Me. Was I. <laughs> and now this is my confession tape. <laughs> you thought this podcast would be news, but it's confession. <laughs> Drop Ted Bundy. That's what that yeah. bright light is all about. You never confess, though. So attribution has been made um, by some of the researchers. They're saying that this was conducted by uh, Iranian nexus threat actors. Um, I think attribution is finicky, personally. I think that um, they have really good evidence, and they would not have come out and said that we believe this is Iran unless they had really good evidence for that. But as always, uh, I think it's just ingrained in me now to, to, to like, asterisk any of those statements with a as far as we know kind of disclaimer. Mm -hmm. So as far as they know, they believe this is attributed to Iran. For the sake of our listeners, just know that Emily physically created an asterisk midair. So I just want you all to think think what that would look like here on our end. It was impressive. It was yeah. beautiful. You're welcome for it was that. That's good. How did um, the attackers basically gain access into the DNS of these these domains that were in these reports? Good question. So what it looks like in right now is that the threat actors sent phishing emails to employees who work at a few companies that are DNS registers. So it looks like key systems and Frobit might have been affected in this. Once the threat actors had their login credentials, they were really able to just log in and make changes. So uh, the initial spear phishing emails were, you know, really specially crafted and well crafted to trick the employees at these companies. But once they um, got in, they they just were able to make changes directly to the DNS records for the domains that they wanted to redirect, and they changed those or those DNS records to point to their own DNS servers in Europe. Oh, fascinating. So that's a, a little different take than what we looked at last week with the DNS manipulation of Venezuela, was, which was at the, the physical DNS level, yeah, if you will. This is a little bit higher up, uh, like, in the chain. Yeah, getting close to the root. To the root of Frobit. The root of the matter. <laughs> to Frobit we go. <laughs> that, that's everybody's favorite part of this story, by the way, is that there's a company called Frobit. I yeah, I, I will never get over that. Yeah. And I'm so glad <laughs> we'll, that word exists. We'll probably say Frobit a few more times yeah, before I, even this if episode they is over. You have we been would just warned. Them. Yes, yes, Frobbit, we would. <laughs> so going back to the initial blog that um, our friends at Cisco Talus put together, I noticed that the malware um, that came packaged basically with the, the enabled Microsoft Word macro, it, it only supported DNS only mode. So Tim, what does that mean and why would an attacker do this? Sure, well, they, so it could work in a couple of modes. One of the modes, it actually used HTTP and, and then there was another one that was DNS only. And the reason that you might have a DNS only mode is because Basically, DNS traffic has to be allowed or nothing works on your network. And so DNS can be a really popular vector for doing nasty things. Um, if a company doesn't have some kind of a smart DNS proxy or something like that and doesn't have good control over that traffic, um, it's a great way for attackers to hide and to either send command and control or to exfiltrate data. So for attackers, it's not just DNS. It's more like DNS. Oh. Womp womp. Or sad trombone. Sad trombone. <laughs> just say that, sad trombone. You don't even have to make the sound. But you are unfortunately correct. <laughs> unfortunately. 
Another thing that I noticed throughout these articles was this idea of DNSSEC um, as a way to potentially protect yourself against this type of situation or campaign. So can either of you speak to what DNSSEC is and why it might have protected an organization or a government entity for this purpose? Yeah, um, so DNSSEC, DNS Security Extensions, um, are supposed to prevent this type of DNS attack because they require digital signatures for all DNS queries for a given domain or a set of domains. The issues here, though, is that it's it's so sparsely used. It's like fewer than a quarter or so domains on the internet uh, use that. What was really interesting about this one is because they had the attackers, sorry, because the threat actors had the credentials, because that was the first thing that they had, it, the reason that they were able to circumvent the, the protections in place by DNSSEC here is that they logged in and just disabled it. They just turned it off mm -hmm. and then got the SSL certs they wanted and then turned it back on. Kind of funny because then later, when they were actually intercepting the traffic, they forgot to go ahead and turn it off again, which was, I think, one of the first kind of red flags letting the company know what was going on. But um, had they remembered to just turn it off and turn it back on each time they wanted to, you know, intercept traffic, it, it might have it been more difficult for this attack to have initially been uh, noticed. I mean, this just keeps coming back to, you know, if the attackers have credentials at a high enough place in the chain, you've got a real problem on your hands. So this, this ultimately rolls back to um, the fact that these actors were able to get registrar credentials. Um, so, uh, you know, one of the takeaways from this for me is that if you own domains that are anything other than like your little hobby domain or something like that, you need to take a lot of precautions at the registrar level to make sure that things don't get um, hijacked because um, if the attacker has that level of privilege to where they can, for example, disable DNSSEC, um, it's going to be hard to stop uh, their, their exploits, at least for a while. They'll probably get some stuff done before you're able to shut them down. Yeah, and one thing that I found was interesting as well is that um, DNSSEC actually was blocking a lot of the, when the attackers were targeting um, PCH, which was one of the companies that I haven't mentioned yet, but when they were targeting them, a lot of the attacks were blocked. But um, two guys were out on travel, on business travel with their phones, and they were on the hotel Wi-Fi, and which, because they were on the hotel Wi-Fi, the threat actors were able to um, compromise them. So it's just something to be aware of. I know, like, people think that, you know, the there any Wi-Fi, hotel Wi-Fi, you have to put a password in and it's safe and they don't realize all the protections that maybe their their business's Wi-Fi has in place. Even if you've authenticated to some Wi-Fi somewhere, that doesn't necessarily make it safe because stuff like, you know, DNSSEC or whatever in this case wasn't able to protect them from their from their hotel Wi-Fi on their phone. So mm. on Friday, on February twenty second, I can actually release a statement calling for full DNSSEC usage across all unsecured domain names in response to this ongoing DNS attack that we've been talking about. So mm. they, they noticed that DNSSEC, you know, would have really been a, a lot more helpful in this instance if it weren't so sparsely used. So that's going to be an huh. interesting response. Yeah, we'll definitely need to keep an eye on that. And um, so before we move on to our next article and discussion here, um, going back 
I want to give uh, both Emily and Tim a chance to give a hoodie rating for espionage. So, Emily, we'll start with you. How many hoodies are we worried about here for espionage? I'm actually going to go against my usual grain of under-hoodying, and I might over-hoodie this one. I was going to give it something higher, like a 7. I don't want to say 8 because that's scary, but the, the number 8 did pop into my head. I just think that this is... But I said 7. So <laughs> mark me down as a 7. 8 it is. <laughs> 800. Um, no, but I think it's a little bit higher just because this is... Um, it's, it's pretty advanced, I, I think. And um, like you were saying, Tim, about how this is going all the way to, like, the, the register, the register, I can't say that word. Registrar. Thank you. Or registry, actually. Yeah. Probably. Um, it makes it more difficult to combat against unless you really know what to look for. So I think that this one's just a little bit more sophisticated than some of the other ones that we've seen thus far. I, I agree with that. Um, I think I was maybe a little bit lower. I was the number that first popped into my head was six, but I understand wh where you're coming from. Um, DNS manipulation can be really hard for end users to detect, and so it can be a way to potentially nail a lot of uh, unsuspecting end users. It puts a lot of pressure on people who own and control the infrastructure that we're all relying on so much to practice the same kind of hygiene that we're expecting of everybody, you know, use two-factor authentication, use strong passwords, et cetera, et cetera. Don't allow your credentials to be stolen. So if those lapses occur, then DNS manipulation can affect a lot of people and, and cause an awful lot of trouble. So, um, look, I think ICANN doesn't put out warnings all that often on things like this, so it says something that they just did. And um, so, yeah, somewhere north of six hoodies is probably right for this one. Changing gears here to our next topic, uh, ye old faithful, Fancy Bear, or otherwise known as APT28, um, is back at it again. Um, seems that Fancy Bear has awoken from its slumber. I think it's Come really... hibernation. Yes. Gosh, I was trying to remember that word. Thank you, Tim. Um, <laughs> I think it's a formal indication that spring is here. You know, the bears are out. There are no ground... I mean, like, groundhogs, I'm sorry, but you're not the single determination now for when spring is beginning. Nobody's going to care about your shadow. Now we have the fancy bears. So spring has sprung, people. I miss those good old days when the bears were simple. Life was simpler back then. <laughs> basic bears. Basic bears. As the bears. kids would call them. That's right. Hashtag basic bear. That's right. <laughs> Boy, that, that would be an insulting uh, moniker to give them. <laughs> basic so, bear. Basic bear. So, Tim, uh, so what are these new attacks that are being observed in the wild, so to speak? Uh, can you tell us a little bit more about the new and improved fancy bear? Yeah, so there's a number of different um, things that they've been going after, but essentially these all come down to what we've become familiar with over the years with fancy bear. They're going after all kinds of... Western democracy-related um, entities, and so it's been everything from governments to private sector to sort of in between NGOs, etc. So, um, the uh, these attacks, I think, are something we're just we're just going to keep seeing these. They went after um, the German Council on Foreign Relations, Aspen Institutes in Europe, the German Marshall Fund. Um, and uh, they're carrying out espionage, they're carrying out influence campaigns, all the things that we know 
fancy bear for doing. Um, look, I mean, I think we're just going to keep seeing um, this kind of activity. You know, it's going to get to the point where there's been an attack by Fancy Bear again is going to be kind of like the old Saturday Night Live sketch of Generalissimo Franco is still dead. <laughs> so it's going to be with us um, for some time to come. But, you know, the, the reason that it's important to keep paying attention to it is um, that as we see their TTPs, it gives us, you know, things to be on the lookout for. So, um the fact that you know they're always going to be at it also means that you need to be watching for it. Emily, did we see any common or classic, if you will, fancy bear tactics in this particular campaign, this recent campaign? Well, definitely with the um, the initial spear fishing, that's kind of their thing um, that we always see from them is that they send really targeted spear phishing emails to their victims, including uh, election-related organizations, uh, think tanks, and democracy-related nonprofits. But on top of that, they when the they'll they'll have links a lot of times in the phishing emails or whatever, and the domains that they register are frequently related to you know they are spoofing like. Office, Microsoft, 365, like those type of domains to get people to click on them. And we've seen other stuff from them as well. It's not just that, but the uh, having a spear phishing email and then having that type of domain associated with it is um, is definitely two checkboxes. It's check one boxes. of their signature kind of things. For sure. Okay, so <laughs> we know <laughs> we are ready to give fancy the fanciest of bears, the most recently fancy bears, now with monocles. Um, what is our hoodie rating, Tim, for Fancy Bear, APT28, the return of the Fancy Bear? I think this is probably kind of in the middle. I, I, I think I'd put it at about a five. And the reason for that is not that it's particularly sophisticated or um, you know, super hard to detect or evade, um, but rather that they're well-resourced and they're just going to be uh, very persistent with this that's the middle name, right, of APT, um, they're really going to do that. And so it means that the would-be victims have to be vigilant all the time. Um, and so I think just the relentlessness of it makes it sort of about a five. Emily, what do you think? Yeah, I agree. I think um, if, you know, since, especially for this particular story, it sounds more like it is just another observed attempt, another attempt of Fancy Bear sending out spear phishing emails to um, democratic election related organizations and that's just that's going to be what they do this is this is their job for the Russian government and so like it's just a five you know like I agree a hundred percent that it would be a five because it, it's not new it's not surprising and it's not going to change so we can't just like live at this super like terrified level of like a nine or something it's like at this point it's just another one so it's right around the middle so let's pivot over to our final subject, WinRAR, uh, which has been broken since the Clinton administration. <laughs> wah, wah, wah. Boy, there's a sad trombone. Sad <laughs> trombone. Before we get into this 19-year-old bug, I mean, this bug could legally drink in Canada. I just want to point That's that out. That's a good point. Yeah. It could vote. It could, and it could vote. It could have its vote manipulated by It could have its vote manipulated. <laughs> 
So perfect. So before we move on and talk about this bug, shall we reminisce about some things that were happening in the year 2000? The year 2000. The year 2000. Wow, the Y2K bug had just not happened. Yes. Um, a pound of bacon was $2.97. Oh, that sounds How good. How things have changed. Um, anybody want to guess the top billboard hit? Bye, bye, bye. Eh. <laughs> and the correct answer is Breathe by Faith Hill. And um, Abraham Lincoln would have been a spry 191 years old. Oh, my goodness. Boy. Back in his youth. Back in his youth. Just barely shaving. But a youth hooligan with a top hat and a monocle, he would have fit right in. Um, so that's what was happening in 2000. So now we can, I guess, talk about WinRAR that we've reminisced. So, Emily, first of all, what is this WinRAR? And can you provide some context as to why this tool exists and, and what this bug is? Sure. So WinRAR is a it's a file compression tool. It's really widely used. It's I think it said something like over 500 million people or machines have this installed. So it's it's like the the file compression tool of choice for many. This particular vulnerability is a like you said a 19-year-old logical bug that makes it possible to create files in folders um, that are either inside or outside the destination folder when you're unpacking a certain type of archive. And this is an ACE archive, A-C-E, which apparently is not very widely used. I, to be frank, had not heard of it before this. It's been around since the 90s, as have I. <laughs> and um, it, it, but it hasn't been maintained since 2007 or something like that and the so company that makes the same for me yeah, yeah. well <laughs> and i think the company that or the organization that made that made it went out of business or something that's probably wrong but they they haven't been around their website hasn't existed since 2017 so recent compared to the other problems in this story but either way you can see that this is kind of a dead type of archive but what can happen is that a attacker can craft a a special, a specially crafted ACE archive that um, when it's disguised as a RAR file, it'll be opened by WinRAR and it'll exploit the path traversal flaw that'll trick the archiving tool into extracting the files into a path of the attacker's choosing. Now this can be bad because WinRAR has access to a startup directory. So what that means is if the attacker knew what they were doing and knew who they were targeting, they could get the files to extract into the startup directory and then when obviously when you start up your machine, it'll launch those files automatically and it effectively will give them uh, remote code execution uh, capabilities on the machine. I, I was saying if, and I wrote my notes as an if, but I actually think it's important to note that as of today, February 25th, this is no longer an if, but a Yes, I don't know what the opposite of if is. It's a it's a done thing. There have been reports now coming in from all over the globe of actual <laughs> reporting live yeah. from Seattle, Washington. Malicious emails were being sent with a RAR that had this. Malicious emails were being sent that did have this type of exploit in order to exploit this flaw. So it's happening. Update your WinRAR, I guess. The WinRAR's response to this is that they're just dropping ACE files entirely. They're not going to support them anymore since they're, they've been out of support since 2007, but now they're going to drop them. So latest version of WinRAR, this should not, this should be fixed, but if you have an older version, go, go ahead and update because attackers are actually exploiting this. So that's, that's the way to get past your WinRIT being rard, if you will. 
I was going to um, say, I think, you know, I think we missed an opportunity in the introductions at the top of this episode. She could have said, I am hacker, hear me rar. <laughs> See, I was thinking more of like, maybe this is my age, but like, like, you know, like those like scene kids, like rar. And that's like what I think every time <laughs> I see that. Win rar. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, okay. So go patch your win rar. Keep you from the ace. Just throwing out lingo at this point. Yeah. Protect Abraham Lincoln at Pro- all cost. Protect Abraham. Let him live a long 200-plus-year <laughs> life, I think is the takeaway. For so sure. now, I can't remember. Is, is WinRAR actually included even in recent uh, Windows versions, or is it something you have to go get? I can't even remember this. Because the RAR file type is not all that common these days. Right? Who uses that now? I, I think know. everything's a zip. 500 million um, people, apparently. <laughs> I, well, 500 million people have the ability to open okay. RAR files, but I don't know if they actually are in real wide circulation. So it feels to me like, uh, you know, if you see something show up that's a RAR, maybe that's a red flag all by itself. But, you know, I could be wrong. I just uh, I haven't lived deeply in Windows land for a few years now. But, so one um, could say it's a rarity. One might be right about that. <laughs> ah, I like that one. One isn't certain. <laughs> the shock in Emily's eyes hurts me. <laughs> a good pun. <laughs> a good pun. I didn't know that wasn't an oxymoron. <laughs> okay, so considering that the scope is relatively small for this particular vulnerability that's now being exploited, um, as Emily pointed out, um, what are your hoodie ratings? That sounded like a leading question. It but did. It did. Wow. What's your hoodie Just rating? Just for that, I'm going to say rating? four kilo hoodies. <laughs> four kilo hoodies. <laughs> no. I, I would give this probably about a three, a I think. I mean, honestly... You know, for me, the interesting thing about this is just how darn old that bug is. Yeah. Uh, we don't see that happen all that often. We, it happens occasionally, but it, it's just kind of amusing that this thing's been sitting around for almost 20 years before it got picked up on and, and uh, now will be resolved. Okay, so Emily, what are your thoughts on this? I, I agree, and I feel like every time I end up agreeing with you, but it's just because you're so darn good at rating hoodies, Tim, but I was going to say three. Shut that was the number that. that had come into my I mind I thought it was well. the 20 bucks I put across <laughs> the table. Shh. That That's was a Jaeger podcast, secret. so the yeah. audience can't see it. <laughs> exactly. No, but I agree that it's a three. It's pretty, like, there's a lot of things that would have to go right for a threat actor to get any kind of success out of this. Um, although 500 million people, the reason I keep pointing that out is because I actually was surprised by that number could be, you know, targeted or exploited against. There's so many other ways that threat actors <laughs> can get what they want that this one's probably going to be like a, a flash-in-the-pan exploit, if you will. It's not going to really... I don't think it's going to be one for the, the history books. So leave that to the Faith Hills. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so any final words here before we sign off for the week? Starting with you, Tim. I mean, I think so many of these things, and and I'm probably going to say this in a lot of our episodes, but so many of these things come down to the basic blocking and tackling of security. Um, In, you know, practicing all the good things that we already know. Um, So when we see things, you know, maybe in a future episode that are really kind of mission impossible, crazy methods of carrying out attacks, those are interesting to talk about but they're usually not going to be the most common attack vectors. The common ones are going to be common. And so um, all the stuff that we already know about doing with multi-factor authentication and good passwords and all of that stuff, 
um, is absolutely, and also with paying attention to the URLs that are being presented in front of you to click on, those are all things that we just need to keep on doing. What about you, Emily? Yeah, I think this was a really kind of interesting week just because all three of the articles we talked about were so completely different. You know, the first one is changing DNS records um, in order to redirect traffic. I mean, that's pretty serious. The second one is just, you know, your same old, same old fancy bear added again with their, their spear phishing emails. And then we have an old vulnerability. And I think it's just kind of interesting to see how, like, you have to really, this is a good example of why you have to, you can't just focus on one thing. You can't just focus on phishing because that's only going to help you for one of these three articles that we've talked about this week. And you can't only focus on vulnerability management because that's still only one. So it's just, there's a lot out there to think about. And these three articles kind of ran the gamut there, covered the... Ran the gamut. Ran the gamut. Oh, my Texas came out. Stuff. <laughs> Yes, absolutely well said, and hopefully um, keeping up with the news is a good way to stay on top of and, and be reminded of all these creative ways that folks can be breached and yeah. exploited and all the bad words. Shout out to the threat actors for keeping us on our toes. Yeah. That's right. Thanks for keeping us agile. You keep us young. You keep us young. That's about all we have for this week. You can find us on Twitter at Domain Tools. All of the articles mentioned today will be included in our blog post, which can be found at blog.domaintools.com. Catch us every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific time when we publish our podcast and blog. That's it for this week. We'll see you again next week on another episode of Breaking Badness. Until then, remember, don't drink and click.